Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 235. My name is Byron. I'm here with my good buddies Joe and Gary, two guys who just voted. One voted for Pedro, one voted for Summer. We've got a great episode this week. This is actually a BJJ Brick Extra, so it's coming out at the beginning of the month right away, a double-week episode. But this episode has Sam Spiegelman. Uh, Gary, Joe, how you guys doing? And what's up with the vote for Summer? I thought we were going to vote for Pedro this year. Well, I actually voted for Pedro. Joe uh-huh. voted for Summer, and I was asking Joe why he voted for Summer. He likes the weather better. Um, he was just hoping for some hot weather. He didn't realize we were voting for class president. He thought we were voting for seasons. They, they say I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was something there. I thought I was going to get an extra two months of summer. So, Hey, my friends, this is Byron coming at you from the editing room. and I got to get a quick note in here to you uh, after this whole thing has been recorded. Joe and I are playing a prank on Gary through the show. Uh, This is the first third of the show, and then the last third. Uh, The interview with uh, Sam Spiegelman is outstanding, but Gary's not involved in that, so we didn't play it there. But really, all we're doing is using as many idioms as possible in our speech. And a couple of examples of idiom, uh, don't cry over spilled milk, uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket, don't quit your day job. These little phrases that uh, we have put together in the English language, and they kind of have a fun ring to them. Uh, we use a lot of them, and we and Gary often will interact with them, but uh, it's kind of fun to see how far we could push it. Before the end of it, when we start using a ton of them, and uh, this is uh, really gets out of control, this is because this episode is airing on April Fool's Day, April 1st. And it's a, it's a day of pranks and, and good times. And so we wanted to do that. And, of course, uh, we picked Gary to be the victim. Uh, while you hear these idioms, you will hear this music. That's me just splicing that into the clip. I might even miss a couple. There's, there's so many. And it's a little extra editing of audio that I'm doing here. But I hopefully will highlight a few of them or most or all of them. And you can have a little fun at Gary's expense. Uh, so enjoy the show. Great show as usual. And I'll kick you back to the show as it proceeds. It, they say I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was something there. I thought I was going to get an extra two months of summer. So uh, that explains my vote. Yeah. And Joe really wanted those extra two months of summer. So he went out and bought a groundhog and see if it could see his shadow <laughs> and was going to give him an extra two months. Well, to add insult the- to injury, Joe also campaigned for summer instead of Pedro. You know, the funny thing, Gary, ever since I bought that Groundhog Day, I've been waking up to the same song on my clock radio every morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, classic movie. If you haven't Uh, seen it, you got to see that. Yeah. Well, both classic movies, Groundhog Day and Napoleon Dynamite. So uh, this is a BJ Brick Extra. Uh, Joe, tell us what this is, kind of uh, this type of episode. Yeah, so we're going to do one extra episode a month, and they'll vary a little bit, but uh, this time I got Sam Spiegelman on, and it was a great interview, and man, if you're listening to this and, and you're uh, thinking, well, I'm not a big strength and conditioning guy, keep listening, because he approaches strength and conditioning from a unique perspective, and there'll be something here to benefit everybody, so I'm excited about this, I'm excited about an ep- extra episode every month, so we'll see how it works out. 
Yep, and this is really killing two birds with one stone. A great interview, and then we also changed the format of the show where we uh, we don't have a quote of the week. We don't have a article either. We kind of change some stuff around, mix it up. We do have a tip uh, of the episode here, and this is about wrist locks. I think that the, the wrist lock is not understood by a lot of uh, jiu-jitsu practitioners. It's not the same as a choke and an arm bar as far as percentage-wise. I think of wrist locks, people think they can get out of those or they're not going to bother them and that sort of thing. But if you've been caught in a good wrist lock, it's just as good as an arm bar, and they can be devastating. Uh, the tip is, to do a good wrist lock, you, you need control of the person first. It's much, it's the same as, as you know anything else with uh, a submission. If you're not controlling the person, a lot of times they're going to get out. So the idea of control, think of a uma plata. You've got them flat, or maybe near flat, and you're, and you're struggling to actually finish that. And uh, you look down, and their hand is kind of, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, you know, right in front of you there. And there's their wrist. Now, can they get away? Are they, you know, actively doing anything? They're probably kind of uh, in a position where they're kind of stuck. This is a very common wrist lock for me to get. And so then I could just apply the back of my hand to the back of, I guess, the palm of my hand to the back of their hand. That pressure uh, gets a pretty quick wrist lock. And there's not a lot they can do even if they don't like it as far as the idea of that as a submission another one the arm bar position if you have trouble straightening the arm out you just go up there and do the uh, I don't know call it like a calf hand uh, type of a wrist lock and because you have control of the person with the arm bar position because you have put control of the person with the umaplata position uh, it makes those wrist locks a lot better than you would think of the standing wrist locks where you're trying to get them to either go down or actually submit them standing. That's really hard to do. But, I, you know, I kind of like using them with a submission that's already kind of been placed and utilizing the control that you get from that. Man, that's a great tip, Byron. I like how you uh, kind of tied it into everything else, jujitsu. That whole concept about having control of your opponent is key. Um, I have a tip. It's kind of a tip within a tip. Wrist locks are awesome. Use them. I, th- I think it's an under underutilized uh, tool in the BJJ tool bag. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's great, Byron. Good, cool. good tip. <laughs> oh, you let the cat out of the bag on that one, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the cat out of the box. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, speaking of wrist locks, it rem- reminds me of our buddy uh, Roy Marsh. Roy is a big time wrist lock guy. Uh, you know, Roy always says that. Uh, uh, arm bar is a failed wrist lock, you know, kind of like what you were going through there, Byron. And, and, you know, I never really big into wrist locks and, and just listen to Roy talk about wrist locks. And I, and one, one point that Roy made that really made me think hard is basically we have to touch our opponent. We are reaching with our opponent. And the very first thing that comes into our range is that guy's hand. And I mean, what's, what's right there with the hand, uh, we can uh, throw a wrist lock on. So, uh, um, you know, this this little tip here, I guess, is dedicated to our buddy Roy Marsh, the master of the wrist locks. Yeah, and if he reaches up and grabs your, your lapel there and you start to wrist lock, let them drop it like a hot potato, and you can transition to something else. And speaking of drop it like a hot potato, you're going to see Byron drop it like it's hot. <laughs> we will have that on video there for you. Uh, look for the link in the show notes if it exists. 
Uh, before we roll on to our interview, got to mention that we do have a couple of audiobooks for sale. Your first year in BJJ and uh, the Six Games for BJJ. Uh, I want to just briefly talk about Six Games for BJJ. It is uh, an audiobook made by me, and it's really giving you some tools to take with you to the mat and experiment with the way you're rolling and alter the way uh, things are going for you on the mat. It's five ninety nine. It's a little over an hour long. And the good thing about these these kind of games that you'll put yourself into, they limit you in a way. And and when you do that, or they maybe they change your goals is a better way to say that. When you do that, you'll you'll discover things about your own game, and you'll really see some things that you've been blind to uh, before. And you know, I think that the idea of um, you know some of these like man on a mission, you're gonna you're gonna pick something and just work for that one uh, one thing, and you'll find it all over the place eventually if you play that long enough. Uh, you can set limitations, and if you uh, one example, if you always you know pass a certain way, you can't pass that way. Well, what else is opened up for you? You still have a lot of tools that you have uh, in that tool bag, but. Uh, with a few limitations about what you're going to be able to do and not do, you'll have to find some new ways to accomplish things. And you'll, you'll really turn your jiu-jitsu into an art form versus just a cookie-cutter thing that uh, is handed down to you. So I think it's a good, uh, good audio book, really geared at like Blue Belt and above, but anybody could play these games. And it's, it's a fun way to, to kind of change your training. So check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Hey, you know what's awesome? You can actually use some of the ideas in here and have other people play the games. They don't even know it, but uh, it can be an effective training tool. I was training with a kid a couple weeks ago. He's maybe 13, 14, but he's a big kid, and he's really good at jujitsu. And he had a tournament coming up, so I said, uh, let's just see how many times you can submit me. You know, I'm, I'm going to just play light, play defense, and I want you to go for as many submissions as you can. And you have that as one of the chapters in the book, correct, Byron? Yeah, that sounds like one of the games. And that's a good one, too, because it helps them – uh, kind of go through that catalog of techniques in their head, and and because it gets boring, armbar, 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 rear naked, arm. Like suddenly they'll start to really reach in a little deeper than they're typically playing with, and they'll do stuff that is still good, but is outside of their uh, common play. Yep. So buy the book and uh, use it to help your own game, and use it to help your teammates out too. Best of both worlds. There you go, man. It's a win-win situation, I guess you could say. Gary, the ball's in your court, my man. What is happening in June? June. uh, June 23rd, June 24th, and even June 22nd, if we go backwards. We have the (laughs) BJJ Brick Weekend event. uh, First ever. uh, The inaugural BJJ Weekend event. Uh, Friday uh, is an open mat. Uh, if anybody comes into Wichita, Kansas early, we can do a little rolling. Saturday is the big day. All the bells and whistles are out. All the superstars are coming. Tim Sled, Rolly Delgado. So uh, we could have two superstars here to teach us a ton of stuff. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a, uh, a seminar from either one of these two, but it's it's just going to be incredible. You're going to learn a lot. Sunday, June 24th. We are just going to have a mat. We're going to have a little bit of teaching from the brick guys. We're going to have some rolling. We're going to have some good times, uh, chokes and jokes. So uh, definitely don't miss it. Friday, June 22nd, June 23rd, June 24th, the inaugural BJJ Brick Weekend in good old Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, and it won't cost you an arm and a leg either. It's a very reasonable price. 
Well, we're putting together some details about this. Uh, time's flying by, and, and we got to get this thing uh, piece together. We've got the uh, the people lined up, and we need to, to kind of put some stuff online and, and show you guys. But we're all excited about this, and it'll be great to meet some of our uh, listening audience. And if you're planning on travel, uh, send me an email at bjjbrick at gmail.com. Let me know you're headed this way. It's going to be a way that we're able to contact you and kind of do stuff off the mat together and make sure that you, um, you know, you know, like the latest of events. So you're up with if any sort of thing changes or anything like that. I need to have a little email list of, of the people that are going to be here. And uh, we're looking forward to having a great time and great experience on and off the mat. So, uh, yeah, June 23rd and 24th and open mat on the 22nd. Man, can't beat this. I'm super excited. Hey, you know what we should do? What's that, Joe? If anybody's listening and you have anything you want us to cover on Sunday, shoot us an email or text and let us know. We'll, we'll uh, put together a, a program for our listeners who are coming to the event. And I'd also like to say we actually got a message the other day from Brian B. He's going to try to make it down, and, and that's something we really appreciate. And I uh, hope we get to meet you and get to train with you, Brian. Absolutely. Man, this is uh, really coming together very nicely. Uh, Joe, what can we expect in the, during this interview? Man, I talked to Sam about uh, – I wanted to get his uh, thoughts on strength and conditioning, and I thought for sure he was going to tell me how to get bigger and faster and stronger, but he doesn't really get into that. He talks about strength and conditioning from a standpoint of how can I train longer, how can I stay healthy, you know, how can I uh, strengthen my core so I can perform better, and uh, the, the end result is you will get bigger and stronger and faster. So if, that, if that's what you're after, stay tuned and listen, but if you just want to roll better, if you just want to feel better – uh, this is a great interview, so I was really stoked to talk to him, and I hope you all enjoy it. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. If you catch him in an armbar, don't forget to pry open his fist after he taps. There will be a small piece of paper with your fortune on it, and it's always correct. When he was a white belt, he put a small amount of glitter on his belt and then went on a world tour. If you look closely at your key, you will probably find a few specks of glitter. He got you too, my friend. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. BJJ Brick listeners, I'd like to welcome Sam Spiegelman to the show. Sam's been a guest Twice before, uh, he brings a lot of knowledge when it comes to strength and conditioning, a lot of knowledge when it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me back. It's always fun. Nice. Look, looking forward to getting some knowledge here and passing it on to the listeners. Real quick, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into Jiu-Jitsu, how you got into strength and conditioning, and, and kind of how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, so I started, uh, started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, shortly after after college, uh, I played you know football and I started you know, majoring in exercise sports science. So once I got done with, with college, I had a lot of you know life issues happen. And some of you guys have you know heard my story in the past. And, uh, I lost both my parents when I was relatively young, and I needed an outlet. So coming out of school from football, I I started looking at different ways to keep myself busy. And you know, my mom was sick at the time and needed some type of stress relief so uh, I started with judo and from judo quickly turned into jiu-jitsu and from jiu-jitsu never looked back um, and as far as the strength and conditioning side goes uh, I had a unique, unique perspective on things because I was always in an activity so playing football or doing uh, jiu-jitsu 
so I could take what I learned and then apply it even through grad school it's the same concept where I started to learn more and more about you know the body and how things work I had a, my own you know personal experiment going on with me and not just me a gym around me so I had you know people I could I could use to, to try different methods of training and throughout the years you see a lot of people come and go through through jiu-jitsu gyms and you know, most of them are, are due to either overtraining or uh, getting injured or, or something like that. You know, life happens, obviously, but, you know, I was fortunate where I started to be able to pick apart, like, okay, what's, why are all these people not able to train past five, six months? And what could I do to help them? So that's where I started to put the two together and I started writing articles and I, I'm currently finishing up a book right now, which will be out soon. And, one thing led to another, and, and I'm able to, to help a lot of people uh, with both those skills. I'm the jiu-jitsu mat teaching classes at Newbury Training Center. Uh, also, working one-on-one with a lot of jiu-jitsu guys that, you know, anywhere from competitors to business nine-to-five guys that just do this for fun. You know, nice. I really appreciate the, the chance that I have to work with them every day. and They teach me probably just much as I teach them. So Sam, Sam, you said you uh, started with judo and then switched to jujitsu, and I was wondering how much of that uh, judo followed you into jujitsu. Are you big into attacking off your feet, still doing throws, or did you kind of go a different direction when you started jujitsu? Uh, so at first, I started, you know, going a different direction. I started, you know, just learning jujitsu as if it was, you know, even the throws and the takedowns I learned in jiu-jitsu, I looked at it like that, not like judo throws in jiu-jitsu. Um, so I started there. And one of the things that I, that I still take with me more than anything is, is grip fighting. So the grip fighting with really good judo guys is, is pretty eye-opening. You know, obviously over the years, you lose your timing and things like that in the throws, but the, the way to cut grips and the, you know, more defensive aspect of grip fighting has really helped me also it's the same with you know playing guard or passing guard and getting grips so I took the aspects of grip fighting and I learned how to apply it to the different aspects of jiu-jitsu but you also do you know takedowns in classes or work throws obviously most classes but as far as me personally the biggest takeaway was the, the grip fighting Awesome. That's interesting. I I'm not sure I've heard other jiu-jitsu or other judo guys talk about that as much so that's awesome um, so Sam if you don't mind let me shoot a couple of strength and conditioning questions at you and just get your take on it for the listeners uh, no one thing I wanted to talk about was strength and conditioning throughout the jiu-jitsu journey um, obviously when you start jiu-jitsu say you're 25 years old and you got out of shape a little bit two or three days of jiu-jitsu is probably enough uh, stress on your body but at what time would you advise a student to start a strength and conditioning program if they're already going to the maximum amount of jujitsu classes they can a week, whether it's family uh, obligations or whatever that keep them home, but uh, they've got a few extra days a week to train. When do you tell a jujitsu student it might be time to take on a strength and conditioning program? Good question. So at first, let's say someone hasn't been working out in a while, done anything, and they're, you know, just getting jujitsu. That alone is enough for the first few months, if not more than that. Um, you know, pushing a body off of you 
is a form of resistance. Not only that, you're doing it at someone else's pace, so it's like sprinting with somebody chasing you. So at first, this the that stimulus is is plenty. Um, you you could start adding uh, strength and conditioning earlier than you know, maybe within that first year, with the understanding of it's just for the sole purpose of uh, health or keeping your body put back together or undoing the damage jiu-jitsu does. So I think a common uh, misconception in the jiu-jitsu world is a strength and conditioning program is going to make me a lot better on the mat. The, the true benefit of it is it will keep you on the mat. Like it, I don't think it's going to help you so much as like cleaning up an armbar technique, but it's going to help you stay on the mat so you can do the armbars. So if you look at it from that perspective, uh, it's just going to help me stay on the mat. You can start adding it in after the first like maybe six months or so just for that purpose, just to like start cleaning up some of the overuse uh, injuries or movements, however you want to think of it, or patterns that you use in jiu-jitsu. And it could be just very general, very basic, you know, nothing that's going to be too hard to learn. So what kind of lifts and exercises would you suggest for somebody at that point? Yeah, you can, so the jiu-jitsu guys that play a lot of guard especially have the very same posture as someone that sits at a desk all day. So if you look at somebody playing guard and you flip them on their feet, they're sitting. If you put a chair underneath them, they're at a desk, right? Right. So you'll start to see a lot of people that play guard have the very same issues that people that sit at a desk all day. Their head's forward, their hips are very tight, their low back is kind of locked up a lot of times which is pretty fascinating because you're still active when you're playing jiu-jitsu. So a lot of the opposite movements, so a lot of extension movements like, uh, you know, kettlebell swings are good, deadlifts are good, any type of movements, to goblet squats, things like that where they don't take a lot of effort to, to really, like, to learn, like, pop, like, Olympic lifting is great, but it's very, it's very hard to learn. You're already trying to learn jiu-jitsu, so you take a simple movement, let's say like a lunge or something that's like relatively, not to make it sound so simple, but it it doesn't take as much to learn a, a, a goblet squat or a, or a lunge as it does to learn like a like a good Olympic front squat. So you start with things like that, like, like a kettlebell swing, uh, some deadlifts, lots of different types of pulls, and then some low back glute work. It can be like hip hinges, you know, bird dogs is another good one, and just start incorporating them into your, your 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 routine. Would it be a mistake at this point for somebody to start worrying about how much weight they're moving? Are, are you just looking for a good technique and, and moving the weight in general, or if yeah. if, if you're yeah, working you're with for, you're looking to build? So for a, a good rule of thumb is first you move well, so you just move you do the movements well. So obviously not all of us are perfect. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second when we start talking about uh, more towards like competition and things like that. But you move as, with as good a technique as you can. And then you move with a little more, you know, frequency, intensity, et cetera, before you do like explosive type movement. So first you move, you just move well, then you move often, then you move with a little bit more weight and then you move faster is a good way to look at it. Awesome. That's a good analogy uh, or a good way to explain it. Would you suggest, uh, how many days a week would you suggest somebody 
do a pretty good bit of physical exercise. So if they're doing jujitsu uh, three days a week, how would you add the strength and conditioning? How many days a week would you want somebody working out altogether? And are you, are you talking about a competitor or just recreation? Well, let, let's say we're still talking about the guy that's fairly early in. He's you know six months to a year in, and he's he's just adding this to the routine. Okay. Yeah, once once or twice is is plenty, depending how you want to split it up. If you want to do full body, you know, one day might be might might be enough. There's a there's a fine line of, of, of like the amount of training one can do to re- to recover from, and it's it's different for everybody. You know, some people's body can take a lot of a lot of damage, so to speak. When for others, that extra weightlifting session will set them back a few days. So for somebody like that, the way I would do it is I would cap it on the days they train. So you, you I know not every gym has like kettlebells or, or weights or anything like that, but even some body weight movements. The days you do jiu-jitsu, you finish with either like some type of like kettlebell series or, you know, a couple sets of like deadlifts, presses, just to round it out. And then you're done. And then you don't have to worry about going back to the gym that other day. You know, you can spend it with your family or doing, like, mobility work or correctives or something. You know, there's plenty you could do with just your jiu-jitsu belt. Like, you can do a lot of isometrics using your jiu-jitsu belt. You know, you, you can you can basically put the uh, jiu-jitsu belt under your feet, sit back like you're doing a, a deadlift, and pull against your feet. Like, you can rip that thing as hard as you want. It's not going anywhere. Right, yeah. You're going to get the same type of, like, stimulus. So let, let me just be clear on something because your answer wasn't exactly what I expected. When I asked about adding the strength and conditioning and how many days you'd work, uh, you you would suggest if I was training Monday, Wednesday, and Friday jujitsu that I would just add the strength and conditioning to those days. And so is that because you put yeah, such like a one or two of those days? Yeah, it doesn't have to be all of them. You know the the downside of doing the alternate days for somebody new is. When they're first starting, especially if they're first starting strength and conditioning, they might be really sore from that day in between, right? So let's say they do Monday Jiu-Jitsu, Tuesday they lift. Wednesday they might feel that lift from Tuesday. So now when they go to do Jiu-Jitsu, they're going to be a little bit like maybe a little bit slower, a little bit more sluggish or they're like, oh, man, my legs are really sore. You know, when you first start lifting, you get really sore, like hurts when someone touches you, you know, like. They're going to be on the mat, like someone's going to open their guard and like, oh, my legs, you know? So you just... Right, so you just... You, you get that full recovery time. Yeah, you're you just know? putting a premium on rest days then, right? Exactly, exactly. And there, again, there's nothing wrong with doing it those alternate days, but the, the goal of the strength and conditioning isn't to get in the way of jiu-jitsu. So if you, if you find it getting in the way, meaning you're, the next day when you go to jiu-jitsu, you're so little, you know, run down from, from the strength and conditioning... Is it worth it? Like, is you, if your goal is to get good at jiu-jitsu, we want to maximize jiu-jitsu time and everything else is supplemental. So capping it those days is a little bit better. Plus, you're already kind of there. You're warm. You know, if you do, like, sometimes getting that next day motivated after you're a little tired from training, it's pretty easy to skip. But if you're like, you know what, I'm going to spend 10, 15 minutes after putting myself back together before I get in my car and drive home, then it's a little bit easier to manage. 
Nice. I like that. Um, so tell me a little bit, uh, just switch gears a little bit. Let's move to like the advanced blue belt or purple belt who's, you know, doing well at competitions and they have their eyes set on the big stage. What strength and conditioning program look like for them? Do they do more explosive lifts, more time just working on getting stronger? Yeah. So for them, you, I, I start with them looking at the year if you can. I know it's hard because there's a lot of like, you know, with all the you know pro events that come up and things like that. If you could take a calendar year, let's say we, we'll call it even. You start January. You pick out the, your main tournaments. Like, what is your main tournament? And those are the ones you peak for. Everything else is practice along the way. So most, you know, high school wrestling, football, all those sports have a finite beginning and end to the season. There, there is no end to the jiu-jitsu season, right? Right. You never have that off-season to work on a specific, like, goal or that off-season to rest and recover. So you have to make one. And this is something that I've been pretty adamant about. And I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm the only one talking about it. I'm sure I'm not. But it's something that I've really, like, put a lot of time in, into. Every sport has an off-season. And every sport has a finite time where athletes have, have downtime. You can, there is no jiu-jitsu downtime. Right. It goes from gi season to no gi season to super fights to this. So where 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 does that play? So you have to make it. And if every time you, let's say every tournament you try to peak and then back off, peak and then back off. If you compete a lot during the year, you'll never actually end up true, truly peaking, right? All you're doing is like getting a little strong, time off, getting a little strong, time off. So you have to suck it up. And some tournaments you're going to feel a little like heavy or maybe you're a little like sluggish if you're, you know, if you're, if you're really trying to push to that level. But if you keep backing off and trying to peak for every single tournament, like, you're going to be in trouble. Wrestlers do it for a finite time during the season. Then there's a break and then they start Greco or wherever it is. But there's always a period of like downtime. So you have to pick a couple of tournaments where you're going to gear up for. So let's say like Pans and Worlds. You know, so the first hunk of time leading up to, to, to Pans, you you the first one. You're just building a huge base of strength, general strength. You know, think like a, like a, conjugate west side barbell type stuff like you know deadlift squat bench and a couple accessories and then your conditioning comes on the mat you know from from jiu-jitsu you're going to be a little more fatigued because you're going to lift a little more frequently so let's say like three four days a week uh but you're going to spend less your 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 weight room time is just to get strong and then you learn how to use it on the mat perfect and then it as you get close to tournament time, so for, let's say for pans, you're going to start to back off a little bit where the, the lifting can stay in there. I don't think you really have to take it out. I think you just back off that, the, the like max effort type stuff, but you keep some resemblance of a strength program and you, you, you train jujitsu really intensely, but very short. So like, let's say you're used to doing an hour and a half of like rounds or something, you know, 45 minutes, but those 45 minutes, you don't want to do anymore. <laughs> like you push right. yourself like a tournament and you, 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 you work your conditioning that way, you know, sleds like that, 
the only other thing you could add is some sled work, maybe something like that, like farmer carries. I'm a big fan of those. The sleds are nice because there's no the load's really not on you. You're just dragging it either behind you or pushing it. There's no physical weight on you, so the it has a little different effect of as far as like recovery goes. Not nice. I hadn't really thought about that before. That's thanks for pointing that out. No problem. So how how close could those couple of tournaments be together to where they weren't they didn't uh, crowd out the ability to recover after one tournament and peak for the next? What what kind of time? Yeah, they could be, you know, I think Pans and Worlds are relatively close. It's like March, usually in June around. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, again, let's say you're you're not. You, your your two biggest tournaments aren't Pans and Worlds, and they happen to be, you know, maybe it's a couple local tournaments for you, right? Like, not everybody wants to go to those, and not everybody has the opportunity to, you know, fly to California and compete like that. So let's say it's two local tournaments, like a, you know, grappling games and U.S. grappling, or you know, a lot of Fuji, or there's a, there's a ton of them now. It could be two of those. You know, maybe they're three or four weeks apart, and that's that's fine. You know, whatever. You know, if you compete once, then you got even easier easier time. At least with the with the fight to win type format or like the super fight type format, you have a fight night opponent and a date. So those are kind of nice. It's almost like you have a. You know, you start getting in that circuit. You can plan out like, okay, I'm doing this one, this date, and that one, that date. Yeah, aside from the money, that's the thing that uh, the people that I know that compete in those, that's one of the things they really like is it's not like going to a tournament where you don't know if you're going to have two matches or five matches or, you know, what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very true. Yep, you know who you're going to fight, you know when you're going to fight them, and, and so, yeah, they like that. Sam, uh, I'm an older guy. I'm in my 50s. What kind of advice do you have for older grapplers and strength and conditioning uh, maybe training for uh, durability, training for longevity, that kind of thing. I think you've touched on some of it already, but anything specifically for guys in their 40s and 50s? Yeah, the the one the one caveat I, I meant to say with the with the competitors, this will tie into this too, is when we were we were discussing the the average person, we were talking about the the, the progressions and moving well. One thing that you're, that happens in jiu-jitsu is there's times when you're not moving well. Like, and there's times that you're going to stand up in someone's guard and your back's going to be rounded. You have to get strong in positions you're not supposed to be strong in. And it doesn't, it sounds backwards and it sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. When you're standing up in someone's guard and they're yanking on you to break your posture, your back's going to round. If on one rep or something on a deadlift, your form isn't 100% perfect. Is it the end of the world? No. Is it great to do all the time? No. But is it going to happen? Yes. So, especially for competitors where you're going to push your body to point of fatigue, where you're going to lose your, your mechanical positioning, and you're going to force to be forced to be strong in positions you shouldn't be strong in, you're going to have to be strong there. Same thing for like the older athletes. Like They're going to get put in positions where if you don't have strength there, you're going to be in trouble. So the funny famous line from Louis Simmons is where should you be strong everywhere right like there's a point in time to like to, to do some things that aren't really traditional 
just to, to have that strength there. So for the older grapplers, a common one is let's say someone's stacking them like a double underpass. Like that's uncomfortable. Like it's meant to put pressure on your on your on your back and you know not feel good. Now if you're already tight, it's gonna be worse. Now if you're already strength there, it's gonna be worse. So you're better off having some strength there and being being actually a little bit on the tight side. You are being over flexible with no strength there, because if you're if you're if you're a little tighter and strong, and someone tries to do that to you, what's going to happen? Your guard gets passed. No big deal. But if you're if you're very flexible and weak, you're going to get put in a position where your knees are stacked to your face, and it might not feel that bad, but that's not normal. Like you don't have any. You you should have some strength there. Like that shouldn't happen. Right. And now you're you're trying to be strong and kick out against them in a position you. You shouldn't be. So for for the older grapplers, I, I I think you get strong in every plane. So you know you you push vertically, you push horizontally, you pull vertically, you pull horizontally. Uh, you you add as much variety as you can to your strength program. You know you try to. Some days you lunge forward. Some days you lunge backwards. Some days you goblet squat. Some days you you know barbell squat someday you you just none of it you're not looking to be you know a professional lifter by any means but you have to figure out like you know where your weaknesses are and, and it's constantly changing uh, something as simple as like maybe the order you know maybe you do something I'll use the standing up in the guard as another example again when when you stand up in the guard and you're fatigued you know how hard it is in general let alone someone big and strong pulling you down so you kind of mirror it a little bit. Like maybe you do some kettlebell swing, get your heart rate up a little bit so you're, you're a little bit tired. Then you try the squat. And did, your, did your form stay good or not? You know, you can you can kind of find your breaking point, so to speak. Like how tired can I make myself but still remain with proper form? Uh, Sam, that's all great stuff for the older grappler. Uh, is there ever a time for an older guy where it might make more sense to do more strength conditioning and less jujitsu? The truth is it comes down to what the person enjoys more. And I know it's a pretty vague answer, but it, it's hard enough to get p- people motivated to go to the gym. So if you really enjoy jiu-jitsu and it's like just a pain for you to go to the gym to do like weights, you're not going to do it, right? Right, so you're yeah. better off doing, sticking to whatever it is you like to do and then just, you know, accepting the fact that you might have to do some training conditioning just to balance everything out and also look at it from that perspective of what I'm doing is going to help me stay on the mat. You know, it'll, it has a tendency to motivate people a little bit more. You know, what I found for, for a lot of the competitors is, you know, there's the old school of thought where it doesn't matter strength conditioning as long as my technique is good and things like that. So the the flip side is no, it's not going to help you get better jiu-jitsu. If you take that out of your head, what it's going to help you do is is when you're seven rounds into a 130 man division at a at a Pan Am's for a seven to eight minute round being a purple black belt or you know sorry purple brown and 10 for black it's going to help you still be there 
So same thing for the for the older grapplers is it won't make a huge difference as far as your technique goes, but it's going to keep you there. And if that's really what you enjoy doing, then you need to do it just to stay on the mat. Yeah, I guess that was at the heart of my question. That was kind of the answer I was uh, yeah, looking for. Know, the, that's the that's the the trade off. Is there, I mean, once you've done jujitsu for a while, like you realize how I want to say boring, but you know, lifting weights isn't as exciting. You know, like <laughs> right. exciting, fun. It's like you get this like different stimulus you're like with a group of people this, you have a big community it's easy to get motivated once you're into it you know it's hard to get motivated to to lift weights once you once you realize how much more you enjoy jiu-jitsu right well, once you realize that when you're doing strength and conditioning you're investing in your jiu-jitsu yeah exactly yeah Good stuff, Sam. You've got a lot of good articles out there. Where can people find them if they want to find more information that you've put out? I have a bunch of articles on uh, breaking muscle. I've also, breakingmuscle.com, they have a jiu-jitsu section on there. I've written for Open Mat, uh, On the Mat. <laughs> on the Mat, those, those of you guys that have been around for a while definitely know On the Mat. Uh, open Mat Radio, I've done some stuff for them. Uh, various articles for even for Rob Wolf's site uh, performance menu I've done done quite a few so if you just if you start with breaking muscle you'll 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 have a ton of them to start with nice. Mike Bell BJJ out of Europe I believe they're out of Europe or London uh, I've heard some stuff for them on, on group training Nice. Yeah. So pretty much if people Google you, they'll be able to find you. But um, yeah, Breaking Muscle must have uh, 50 articles. Does it seem like you've got that many on there? It's a pretty big list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look for, I can't believe there's that much to write about in Jitsu. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was once, once every other week, I believe, for, for, a, for a long time. Wow. That's putting out some articles. I would always, you know, like how how can I keep like coming up with topics? But to be honest, a lot of them were from just my experiences in the gym. Like people would ask me questions, or I'd like just kind of notice stuff, and I'm like, you know what? That's a I'm sure they're not the only ones that have that issue or concern. So I, nice. I like I said, I think I probably learned just as much from from the, the students as I do. I teach them. Nice. Well, let's um, get on the. On our episodes, we always review an article. We'll review another one this week, Gary and I and Byron. But let's review one of your articles, just kind of give the listeners a, a little bit of an idea of what you got out there. I'm looking at one on breaking muscle called The Four Biggest Mistakes Competitors Make at a BJJ Tournament. And uh, the number one mistake that you've listed is making weight. Um, are you talking about they just don't make weight, or are you talking about they make mistakes when they're trying to make weight and and come in too fatigued, T- tell me what you're getting at with that one. Yeah, no problem. All, all the above. So the 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 first is is jujitsu, especially the the IBJJF Federation tournaments. They're they're a very unique model as far as weigh-ins go, where you weigh in with the gi very soon before your first match. So. The, the, the way you have to go about your weight cut or, or even managing your weight is going to be very different as opposed to someone that has a day before weigh-in. 
even a morning of weigh-in. Yeah, it's amazing how much you can. It's amazing how much you can rehydrate and put some nourishment back in your body if you just at least have a few hours. But yeah, exactly. t- ten minutes before the match is a different story. Exactly, and you'll you'll see a lot of people at tournaments running around with like dark plastics and stuff at IBJJF tournaments. You know, trying to cut cut into pretty close. You know, and I you can get away with it at a certain point. You know, let's say you have a, a, a five to ten man division. Okay, you got a few matches. You could probably get yourself through it. But now you, you're looking at like you know, let's say blue belt, middleweight, lightweight, um, purple belt, even some of the, the the master divisions. You have some serious numbers in them. You know, I think like purple belt, it's either lightweight or middle pans this year is like 130 something people in it you you're not going to make it very far dehydrated yeah you got to come ready to roll exactly so there there there's that cutoff that trade-off point where is it worth it if you're going to have to go that many matches in a day are you better off being fully fed fully hydrated or are you better off trying to cut to a lighter weight class but be dehydrated and i think there. There's no way the performance is going to equal um, your hydrated self versus your dehydrated self. No matter how much you want to will and want to work in your brain, it's just not going to happen. So you you can't go into those tournaments thinking like you're going to have that same 24 hours or even you know eight to ten hours to rehydrate. So a lot of a lot of competitors make that mistake, and then they realize like. I'm stepping on the scale. Oh, I'm going right now. And they're like trying to slam a pee light on the way to the mat. You know, at that point, it's, you'll get through it. Don't get me wrong. Like grapplers are, are a rare breed, right? They'll get through it. But now they got to do it again and again and again and again. And now the format with the brown and black belts were the, the two days, right? Right, you got to feel pretty awful that second day. Yeah, and you got to maintain that weight throughout the two days because you're stepping on the scale for pretty much every mat, aren't you? Yeah, but I think the second day they don't they don't weigh you in. Okay, that's my understanding. But the 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 recovery is going to be if you're rehydrated, dehydrated, you're going to be fighting really hard just to get back to hydrated after doing a bunch of matches, and now you got to like. Basically, like, fill the gas tank for the next day. So you're already, like, running on empty. Now you got to get back to, like, a full tank by the next day. Yeah, for the, so for those kind of tournaments, uh, if I'm hearing you correct, you're saying that uh, water loss weight cut is a horrible idea for that style of a tournament. Yeah, no, if you, if you start dieting down and you're, like, getting close to that weight, different story, you know. I, I look at weight cutting as, like, a rapid weight loss or, like, a rapid decrease in body weight. As opposed to like, you know, dieting. I don't really like that term, but you know, taking your time and 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 dropping your your, your body weight is a very is a, they're two very different ideas. Now, if you can naturally drop your if you drop your body weight to the lower weight class without you know having to really cut a lot of water and dehydrate and things like that, then by all means, if if you think it's going to give you that advantage, go for it. You know. I just, I just don't like seeing people 
like doing that rapid depletion for a match they have to like have basically 30 minutes let's say if you're lucky maybe you get like one of the later round like matches in your division you get 30 minutes you're staying in the bullpen to rehydrate yeah I, I completely concur so that's mistake number one people make is making mistakes trying to make weight in your article you've got next uh, mistake number two not warming up properly so tell me what a good warm up is what, what's that look yeah. like you know, every tournament's different, but there's very few places that have, like, really good warm-up areas, you know. I know, like, at Pans and stuff, there's people go outside, like, it's kind of nice. But some of those smaller tournaments, you know, they're in, there's not a lot of room to warm up, and there's not, like, a designated area, right? So the, you know, imagine going into your class, like, let's say, like, heavy competition class and just sparring right away. That first one's going to be rough. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You're going to be, like, way, way sluggish. So a good warm-up does, does a few things. So you start, one, is this literally warming up the body, right? So getting a, your, your your core temperature up a little bit, and that could be done through something as simple as, like, calisthenics, you know, some push-ups, jumping jacks. Um, if there's a room to, like, jog around, you know, that's fine. Some, like, you can do, you know, hip escapes or something, uh, sprawls. If you want to do more specific jiu-jitsu movements, so just so you start to break a sweat. And then the next thing I would actually look at is doing some 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 core or trunk stability work. So getting your by trunk, I mean like core. A lot of people say core; they'll think like you know their abs or whatever, like stomach. But the trunk as a whole is what's important. So force or athleticism is generated in the feet and then it comes out through the limbs basically or through your arms so if you have a your midsection isn't very stable or your, your trunk you're going to lose a little bit so you want your trunk to be stable you want it to be like like a rock like if someone's going to punch you you know how it stiffens right so it's not just abs it's your lower back muscle and uh, glutes yes exactly some of your so your glutes uh, you know you can make an argument like latch things like that like you want to get the fronts, the sides, and the back is a good way to think of it. So something, um, you know, that Dr. McGill, Stu McGill, he's he's the he's the man with all that stuff. He, he wrote a great book about, called The Back Mechanic. Um, but you know, he's worked with a lot of fighters throughout the years, and he ta- he talks pretty amly about this. Is like you get you get the trunk to to fire. So something like a rolling plank is a is a good example. It's like if you start in a front plank, roll into a side plank rotal side plank you're getting the front the side the sides and then like a bird dog or you can do like a reverse plank for the for the back and glutes you kind of hit all three you kind of hit the whole trunk in one fell swoop so during your warm-up you're trying yeah, to a- during your warm-up you're trying to engage these muscles so they're ready for the competition is that what you're getting at exactly you want them to you want them to be to, to to activate or you want them to be like awake is another way to, to put it so when you're when you're forced to to set up for that sweep or defend a takedown you actually want your 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 midsection your trunk to stiffen like you want it to be be like a rock you don't want it to be loose because when it's loose is where you're gonna have problems you want it to stiffen to protect your spine so when the when the back stiffens 
you're 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 protected. Just like this like the punching is a great example. Like subconsciously when someone's gonna punch you, you tighten up. It's to protect you. So you want your 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 muscles to do that. You want them to protect your back if something bad's gonna happen. So you get those going, and then the next thing you do is 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 you do something explosive. Like you fire the the nervous system, so to speak. So like that'd be a good time for like a couple like jumps or like slam a ball on the ground or like if you have a partner, you could like do a couple like double leg pickups where you're not, you know, you're not slamming them down, but you're like shooting real quick and picking them up. Right. But like fast, like do like one rep, like as like fast and then let your body recover. Like even if you took a minute to fully recover, hit it again, minute, you know, the, the goal of that is, is just to get like that explosive fast twitch going. So if you start doing two or three in a row, they're not as explosive. You can't be explosive for like 10 reps, you know? Like you can be fast for 10 reps, but to, to be truly explosive and give it an all out effort, all out effort means what? One. So people are like, oh, I can do 20 lot of these. Well, it's not, you can do, of course you can, but it's not 20 full out. Like if you do one full out, you shouldn't want to do another one. So this is one time for sure where you're putting an emphasis on quality over quantity. Like I would, like if you have like a medicine ball, like a slam ball or something, you take it and you slam that thing so hard to the ground that you, it goes through, you think about driving it through the floor. And then you wait till you're kind of like settled down, everything's like, you know, take a couple of breaths, you can like walk a little bit, come back and do it again. Like you want that one of just like raw aggression <laughs> is, a, is a good way to think of it. Like you want to be like just angry, you know, approach it with bad intentions. Right, I got you. Now, I don't want to actually work out before I compete. I don't think I don't want to spend that much energy. How much time should I? How much time should I spend um, warming up? Should I do it till I break a sweat? Uh, what are you? Yeah, so what? the first part, the first like calisthenics type stuff. Look at it like the. If you start, if you're in a tournament, to be honest, like you're probably going to be like already a little nervous, so you're going to sweat pretty quick. As soon as you break that sweat, you start doing the the trunk stuff. You know, you spend like, let's say, three minutes doing that. You do a minute from, you know, between the minute front plank and the sides, three minutes. And if you do bird dogs or something for the other, for the for the posterior, it's called four minutes. So you're looking at like, I don't know, five, six minutes total there. And then you look at maybe five to six reps of something explosive like that, which is, you know, another five minutes, let's call it. Still have 15 minutes, and then you can start doing your specific stuff. You know, like grab your, you know, whatever you do before. You know what you're comfortable with before a, before a match. Like in class, like you, if you want a grip fight, you want to, you know, have a friend pummel, things like that, and just stay loose. You know, the the hard part is, well, some tournaments, you know, you know there's a loose window of like a five hours. Between, you know, somebody like, oh, you're going to be a four, could be a five hour, give or take, you know, whereas like a, some of the more well run tournaments, they're, they're usually within 30, 40 minutes of your scheduled start time, so you can plan pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's at some, sometimes so, you don't know if you're 15 minutes out or if you're two hours out, so it does make good, it difficult. Good example of, of, of that type of method comes, uh, I have a good friend, Jim, he, he was very high level uh, judo, you know, Olympic level, one of former Soviet countries, and 
he said before every judo tournament they would warm up a little bit as a team kind of like that and then their coach would have them do an all-out match just to get that first one out of the way to get that like that like adrenaline and that all that like explosiveness going like they would obviously not trying to hurt each other but like they would literally do a match and then they would be done put their stuff on go stay warm until their time came so you get that first one out of the way is 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 the way to think of it so by doing that explosive stuff by like doing those planks and then like you know if you're lucky enough to have a partner doing something where you can like get that first one out of the way so you get you get the nerves gone you get your body loose and, and then you're ready to go yeah, so you're kind of preemptively dealing with that adrenaline dump instead of waiting for the yeah exactly your first round. Your legs are going to feel heavy. You're going to be nervous, like, but you you've already had that first one in out of the way. Sam, I like the way you wrote this article because it's sort of it's in the timeline of things that you're going to face during a tournament. And yeah. the next the next mistake you uh, noted people make is not recovering between matches so tell me a little bit about uh, maybe mistakes you see people making or advice you have for people to do a better job at this the first thing everybody just says after the first tournament is well i didn't think it was going to be that intense and two why can't i feel my forearms (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing right the you can roll in the gym all day and then you do one match and your forearms are shot you know uh so the in between matches, you know, most tournaments you're going to have at least a full match to rest. You know, more, at least. So if you're, you know, let's say you're a blue belt, six minutes, you got another six. Five minutes, you got another five. So we need to maximize that time. So first is is restoring your your your, your breath. And what, what happens is when all that lactic acid builds up, a lot of times in, the, in a tournament you're, you're gripping or you're, you're moving and the breath has a tendency to suffer. So when you're not, you're not oxygenating as much as you should, you build up lactic acid very easily. And that's what that like heavy quicksand feeling is. Because it's like, you know, an anaerobic byproduct basically. So without oxygen, right? Like you can only do that for so long until you build up this like almost breaking system in your body where it's like stop, recover, get some air and it'll filter out. So returning your breath to like normal, you know, any type of recovery breathing. Some people like to, they call it like diaphragmic breathing. Um, you know, the famous video of Hickson on the beach, you know, that's a form of like, he's trying to oxidate his body basically. You know, you know, obviously none of us are that, that skilled with the, with his, with the breath work as he is, but his point is that it's like you, you basically like you reoxygenate your body. Okay. So you start there and you hydrate. Um, with something else besides just plain water and I know it's it's very easy to, to just want to slam a bunch of water but you're you're doing yourself a big disservice if you're not adding any type of uh, something as simple as sea salt and maybe like a little bit of like some type of sugar to help you get those electrolytes through the, the blood brain barrier will help tremendously so like sea salt I don't think you have to have like this, you know Sugar is kind of a loose term. It could be, there's all kinds of different, you can put a little powdered Gatorade or some, like, powdered Gatorade has a tendency to be a little bit more uh, cleaner. I don't think the, there's high fructose corn syrup or anything in it, and you can obviously control the, the 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 amount you use. But a little bit of electrolytes and a little bit of, like, glucose 
will go a long way. Nice. So, so catch your breath. And like I said, there's actually specific things you can purposely do to uh, make that more efficient. So catch your breath, um, rehydrate, uh, specifically with uh, more than just water. Um, yeah. What else goes in that list? Anything? Or is that kind of the two? No, you can. Those are the, the low-hanging fruits. You know, you can add some people like that, amino acids. Uh, and then the the third part is, is, is getting some movement back. So, like, you know, you, you see a lot of people have shaking out your forearms, things like that. Um, you don't want to do a lot of, like, quote-unquote stretching because that's a tendency to weaken you a little bit. So just start, you know, standing up, getting air, moving around again, like walking. Just get some blood flow back, like trying to match like your breath to your movement so let's say you're you're walking like try to match a breath for a step like try to get some type of rhythm rhythmic breathing and moving going just to kind of slow your heart rate down and once your heart rate drops to a you know comfortable level then you just you you, you keep it there <laughs> you know right uh, and by for most that for most people that are in tournament shape or you know getting ready for a tournament you could do it in that in that window, you know. Maybe if you're brand new and like you just trying to jump in there, you won't. But you know, five to six minutes is a decent amount of time to to recover. Nice, that, that's great advice. Uh, the last point you have in this article is that uh, fighters have made too many changes. Uh, I assume you're not just talking about leading up to the uh, tournament and as far as technique in their game, but uh, with their diet and their routine and the whole nine yards. So how does that yeah. how does that affect them? Yeah, the 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 body does some crazy things, especially when, when competition happens, like you know, nerves, sleep, all kinds of goofy stuff happens. So now you're going to try to change all of a sudden what you what you eat. Um, you know, right before I, I, I've been, I've been asked that multiple times. <laughs> you know, what should I eat? Like whatever you've been been eating. You know, even for for uh, for a lot of the UFC guys. You know, unfortunately, we have some some pro fighters that train with us. You know, everything from Bellator to UFC, and they have rituals. You know, they have certain places they like to go after weigh-ins, and they they don't change it. <laughs> you know, and I. A lot of it is for that reason. They're comfortable there. They know what they can order, how much they can eat, what they shouldn't eat. Um, you know, throughout the years, we've had some 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 really incredible people come through the through the gym, from you know Andre Gaval to Lepre to you know JT Torres, and a lot of them are very regimented in their in their in their food, even when they travel for that reason, because they know like I can eat you know sushi, chipotle, Whole Foods. And my stomach's fine. I feel good. But as soon as I bear off that path a little bit, uh, I start to feel a little weird, you know. So I think you just stick with what you're used to because you, you know, there's a there's a famous story about an Olympic uh, Olympic sprinter, and he was working with a nutritionist. They asked him what he ate before races, and it was like a burger and coke or something. And they, he was like, when I was a kid, before every meet, I'd have a burger and a coke. And when they took it out, he performed horribly. When they kept it in, he was a Olympian. <laughs> so they're like, we don't know, we don't get it, but we're not going to change it, you know. There's so something about that routine, superstition, whatever it is that 
that keeps them in line. So I, I don't think you change much. Yep. So just a disclaimer, folks, we're not encouraging anybody out there to start having a burger and Coke before every yeah. tournament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, oh, I couldn't even, the thought of that makes my stomach hurt. But for some, you know, I used to, I knew some guys that could eat burritos and then go roll. And I was like, man, I want to eat a burrito and go to bed. You know, like, it's fascinating what, what, what fuels people. Yeah, it, it is amazing, though, how uh, routine works. And uh, I, I honestly think that's an area where a lot of fighters drop the ball. You know, they don't develop any kind of routine to kind of trigger their body into uh, getting ready to compete. And so the great. Oh, ad- yeah. It's a, it's a, I think because it's such a new sport, like as much as we think it's been, people feel like it's been around for a while, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's relatively new. Like people have been training for football for years. People have been training for wrestling for years. They're still trying to figure out how to train for MMA and for jiu-jitsu. And, you know, you could, I guess you could steal a page from judo sometimes. Like, they're probably the, the closest. But, you know, as far as, like, all that goes, we're, we, we're, we're still, like, in this big, huge learning process, you know. And I think you have to understand a lot of this was done before us, you know. Like, why not look at what good judo guys did or what wrestlers do? Because they've done it for years and it's working. Absolutely. Man, Sam, that was a great article. Um, listeners out there, uh, check check out other things he's written. I, I feel reading an article like that, that if you're new to tournaments and you read that article, you're going to come away better prepared. And that's what I'm looking for content. That's what I'm looking for. So I appreciate the work you're putting out, Sam. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. I'm glad everybody's getting something out of it. Yep. So I've had you on the phone about an hour already. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Sam, but I was hoping to ask you a few questions that might lead to you offering some advice for uh, younger or newer students in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the first one is a guy's a couple months in, and uh, maybe his question to you is, we do close guard for a couple nights. We do half guard. We do top side control. You know, it seems like every, every time I go to class, I'm being introduced to a new technique, a new position. Um, and maybe I feel like there's some things I should be focusing on, and I'm not really getting from my instructor what those things should be. If you were telling a guy that was three or four months in, maybe here's a list of five things you should focus on every class, what would some of those things be on that list? Put a very big big blanket answer for the first one it's it's learn as much as you can so especially when you when you first start one there's 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 no expectations so you you want to learn as much as you can you want to basically rob that place blind of information you know you're you're paying for a service in a way like you're paying for class right for most people approach it like, like you're paying for that like Take everything you can from it. Like, learn every little, like, thing you can, you know, whether you want to write it down uh, on paper, you know, electronic, or make, you know, draw pictures, whatever it is. Like, like you, at that level, like, learn everything. And, and right now it's going to be chaos, which I'll explain in a second how to kind of, like, figure that in. But, like, the first thing is just to, like, try to remember the most random details of, like, grips or something, like, that you might forget, you know, but like write it down, you know, and you won't appreciate it probably till you're a little bit later. Like, oh, 
oh yeah, if I grab like this, it really helps as opposed to this way. You know, at first you're just, obviously you're just trying to like find your path, but all those details that they taught to you when you were beginning, like, like you paid for that in a way. So like, keep it. You know, hold on to it somehow. So that's my first my first part. <laughs> so you're um, you're kind of a proponent of journaling, I take it. Yeah, writing. You know, the, I, I used to write it down. Like sometimes I'd draw stick figures. Like, and, and that was told to me from 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 people that you know were much better than me. And I just kind of took it and ran with it. Um, I just I'll skip ahead to the fifth one because it ties into this one before I get to the ones in between. Yeah, and you don't have to live five. You can do three, or you can do seven, or whatever whatever you want, Sam. With that info, you start to build like a a, a picture of your jujitsu. Uh, Mark Vive is the you know one of the really good competitor, head instructor, like great mentor for for a lot of a lot of my life. Actually, I remember to this day, I think I was a blue or purple belt. He had me write down like a game plan or like moves I like to do from position. Not only that, how do you put them together? So now when you're, you're, you're first learning, like, okay, I learned a guard pass, put it here in this section. I learned a, you know, a guard opening, I put it here in this section. I learned a pass, put it in this section. Now, six weeks later, I learned a different pass. Okay, now how do I put this pass with the one I learned six weeks ago? Because that's where the true, the true beauty is of jiu-jitsu, is like, how do I go from a double under to a single under? So you, you, you look at ways like, how can I put those together? So you start to build this like map of jujitsu in your own head or how jujitsu appears to you. And there is no right or wrong. You know, you're just learning. You know, you're not supposed to be able to do that. But down the road, when you start to see like, oh man, I learned double under, I learned a knee slide, I learned this, how do these go together? Because jujitsu is abstract in that way. Like you'll learn a triangle one week and you'll learn something, you know, maybe like a open guard sweep the next day you know how do you put those together so I would I would say you, you keep track of it somehow it was very eye opening to be honest like and you start to see like oh man I only know one move from half guard but I have seven guard passes you know yeah something I did early on in my jujitsu that it was, like I said, it was really eye-opening, is I decided to write down my three best moves from each position. And I was probably knocking yeah, on the door at Blue Belt at the time. And the first thing that was surprising is, like you said, I came up with some positions. I couldn't even list my best move from that position. So I saw, saw some big saw some big holes in my game but then also i noticed some of the moves that i thought i was good at when i actually tried to put them to the test maybe at one point i was good at them but for whatever reason i wasn't hitting them so i really like that idea i encourage everybody yeah. to do it and then the as far as like the the in cl- in class type stuff you know try your best to do the the technique or the the drill or however, you know, the class is structured when it's time to, to go live. So if you, let's say you spent, you know, the hour like working on a guard opening, the tendency is to, when you start to roll, you just kind of like go off the map, right? But even if you just tried it twice and everybody you went with that day, you'll reinforce it better. And you'll start to build patterns, like, okay, if I get this grip and I stand up with this leg, person's going to try to do this to me. You know, when you start doing that early, you'll start to build, build this huge, like, 
this huge pattern recognition of, of, of moves. You know, the the kids, you know, I'll use the kids class for an example. Like, I, I really try to emphasize that where for a while I noticed, you know, if you're, say I teach a mount escape, when we when when they're actually rolling and they get to, in the mount, they won't try the move. But if I have them like mount drill, they'll try it, right? And I know they're kids, like it, they're gonna have a little different, you know, mentality with it. But for for the adults, you you turn your rolling into drilling. So it's like I want to work this guard pass that I just learned. So you you just try it, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's probably not gonna work the first time, obviously, but. It's gonna it's gonna help you remember it better. Yeah. As opposed to just saying, "Oh, I don't know anything. I'm new." You just you just spent an hour learning something. You know something. Yeah, and I, Sam, I think most uh, student uh, bodies, most schools, are okay with this. I'll sometimes ask my training partner if he minds if I just start in whatever position the class was taught from almost like we're just positional sparring and yeah 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 100 percent. yeah don't be don't I, I be agree. afraid yeah that's a good point i, th- I think uh, you kind of don't know your like your place in the in the world at that point right so yeah i, I that is a good that, that, that's a good good statement it's like there's there's no harm in telling your training partner hey can i start here and 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 if it is two like newer people the other guy's probably like thinking the same thing, like, "Oh, thank God! Like, I wanted to start here too," you know. Exactly. Like, I, I think there's no there's no harm in, in asking, like you said, for the most part, like, no one's gonna really object to it. Nice. So move, moving a little bit forward, then in a, in a student's progress, uh, give me a quick rundown on some of the. Th- key things you think a blue belt needs to know maybe you just a list of things that you would uh not promote a student to blue belt yet until they knew you could probably ask 10 people same question they have different answers you know the the biggest thing for for at least for us and the way i always approach it is is you know who the person is and what they're trying to get out of jiu-jitsu so if they're a competitor you're going to have a little different perspective on, on them um, and I'll get to the generals in a second. As opposed to the the guy that just started, maybe he's a little bit older. He's just trying to like blossom steam after work, right? So the the one constant with all of it is knowledge. Does that person have the right knowledge, right? Can they do they have a knowledge of what a blue belt should know? Could they do it on everybody? Doesn't matter, right? But do they know what a blue belt should know? Because if the bottom line is some white belt's going to go and ask the blue belt how to escape side control, and if they don't know. They don't have that knowledge. So blue belt should have a decent idea of, of, you know, a couple moves from each position. You know, it doesn't have, they don't have to be world beaters, they don't have to be great at it, but they should have, like, good good understanding of the positions and a couple moves from each one. You know, escaping the mount, mount you know, a couple attacks from the mount, taking the back, a couple, couple escapes from the back, you know. Like, they, they need to have just a baseline of it. And, uh, from that, from there, you look at like, okay, are they competing? Do they want to compete? Are they looking to compete at like a higher level? You know, are they doing okay in competition? Which I don't think for, for most people doesn't matter, right? But if you are that one or two, like, let's say you're like a 16, 17 year old kid that's really wanted to like make a run for it, like, then you're going to have to test yourself, you know, and you're going to have to like go out there and, and, and see where your, where your, where your holes are at that competition type game. But as far as like 
you know, knowledge of a, of a belt. It should be, you should have a decent, you know, a couple moves or a couple, a couple of things you like to do from each position. And, and you should be able to, to help a, a newer student if they, if they have a question like, hey, I'm getting, why am I getting caught in a triangle? Because you, maybe one arm is inside the guard and one arm is out. You know, they, you should have a basic understanding of, of things like that where, oh, I don't know, you're probably just leaning forward or something, you know? No, that's that's great. Like you said, uh, ten different uh, instructors would have ten different answers, but I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I think that's pretty spot on. Um, one one last question on the question and answer part, Sam. What advice would you have for students? Their their blue belt, purple belt. I guess blue belt is probably a little less common now. Purple and brown belt, and they're maybe getting an off opportunity to, to teach. Uh, they're interested in it. Uh, what, what kind of advice would you have for that student that's kind of making that transition? I don't think there's anything that's really helped me more than, than, than teaching, and especially kids. <laughs> uh, they present a different, a little different challenge. But uh, teaching has really opened my eyes to to, to jiu-jitsu and the help me develop a better understanding of the, of the techniques. So for someone that's looking to teach and if for nothing else, like if you just thought of it, like I have to understand this move a little bit better because someone's going to ask me a question that's going to seem a little like out there, but I'm going to have to figure out an answer. So you look at all of a sudden you have to take a little different perspective or you'll always get like, you know, there's obviously a lot of different, you know, types of students, but you have one student that's like, well, why am I grabbing a sleeve? Why can't I grab here? You gotta, you gotta figure out an answer. You know, and like, you can use teaching to help you really understand a, a, a technique a little bit better. And never, never be afraid to, 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 to teach, because I think the te- teaching is gonna, it's going to allow you to open up and, and explore and learn more because you're going to have to figure out how do you, how do you get the, the new guy in class that can't tie his belt to do a hip escape or even more, even, even more, more, uh, more challenges. How do you get the new guy in class in a mixed class to do the same move that a purple belt intermediate is trying to do? You're going to, you have to figure it out and you have to, you have to really understand the technique to, to break it down to the simplest form for that guy and into the most most complex form for the advanced guy and any, anybody else in that spectrum. So the, you know, teaching is really, uh, I don't think you obviously have to teach to be good at jiu-jitsu. You know, that's not true. But I think it will help you if you're, if you're at that level and you're starting to think about it and you're like, you know what, I don't know, I'm not a really good competitor, I'm not like, it doesn't matter, like, you'll, you'll start to see Jitsu in a very different light and your game is gonna, is gonna explode, you know, like, a lot of people I've asked throughout the years that have come into the gym from like JT Torres to like, you know, I guess, like, Gaval, all them, they, they actually love teaching kids for that reason, you know, like, you know, JT, I think, taught kids at Atos for, for, for a long time. You know, he, he, he loves it. You know, I think there's, there is something to be said. Like, it does open your eyes to, 
to move and teach. You can teach something to a kid. You can teach anybody, right? So you take that same perspective for, to a beginner. Like, if I can teach this, this new guy how to do a triangle, or I'll, I'll use the arm bar because everybody teaches the arm bar first, which is, like, so hard. There's, like, 12 different hips. You know, you got to change different angles, different grips. Like, there's a lot going on there. Like, that move is so hard for somebody new. But if you can break it down and teach that person how to do it, like, you're going to understand it better. Yeah, and if anybody's going to ask you an oddball question that makes you think it's going to be an eight-year-old, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think about it, I'm like, you know what? You probably could do that, you know? They actually, like, it is, it is, because they have no, like, they have no inhibitions and they have no recollection of, like, you know, what's good and what's bad. So they'll ask questions sometimes. I'm like, you know, I guess you could do that. I don't see why you couldn't. And if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll never do it again and we'll stop, you know? But sometimes it, it takes a little different perspective on that, you know, to to do it. Or you, or you, you have to deal with the different variables, right? Like what if someone's six foot four and what if someone's five, three, you know, you got a five, three guy, you got to teach him a triangle too. So you're going to have to figure, you know, you're going to learn how to adapt the techniques of different, different people, including yourself. Right. So de- definitely if somebody's interested in teaching or if they've got the opportunity, but they're not sure you- you're going to encourage them to go ahead and take that step. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you know, jiu-jitsu is obviously a lot po- more popular now. One of the, you know, I, something I would struggle with to, there's a couple of things that I don't know have helped me. One was this, I started teaching classes like, you know, towards the end of blue. And I remember thinking in my head, like, oh, what if a purple belt shows up? Or what if a brown belt shows up? And I... And in the grand scheme of things, most of the people that do jiu-jitsu, they're going to respect you over teaching, right? And you'll, everyone, you know, you'll get a person here and there that's like, oh, what is this guy, you know? You know, now I know there's a lot more upper belts, but at the time, especially in you know, Midwest Chicago... And if there were a couple of blue belts on the mat, you thought it was going to be a tough day, you know? <laughs> like, I've never seen a, a couple of brown belts. So I was like, whoa, you know, like, this is going to be a tense session, you know? Like, so I, I know times were, were a little different, but, um, you know, Mark always wrote that in my head. He goes, no matter what, you're teaching class. You have to remember that, like, people, you're the one teaching class. And I when I started to see a lot of the upper belts come in and just do what I was showing them, like whether they in their head was like, man, this is ridiculous, but who knows, you know, but they did it. And it helped me build that like mindset of like, you know what I am teaching. And, and whether they, you know, they don't always have to agree with it, but, um, you know, that, that is a big, big, big loop for some people where they don't feel like, Oh, I don't know enough. I don't like, you know, the bottom line is you know more than the guy that just started or the girl that just started. So, no matter what, like, can a good blue belt teach somebody? Of course they could, you know? So it doesn't, you know, I, I don't think you should ever worry about things like that. You'll, you'll develop your own teaching style and things throughout the years. And yeah, nothing I, but help. I think age is another interesting dynamic when you're talking about that. Uh, I'm oftentimes coached and taught by people that are actually younger than my oldest son <laughs> so you oh, know yeah, yeah. It, and it it's 
a challenge for them. I, I don't have a problem with it, but sometimes you can see younger people kind of struggling with that. And uh, how do I tell this guy what to do? And so I, I really think it, uh, it encourages people to grow up a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. And especially, you know, one of the, one of the things, things that, uh, I try to encourage too, and is for for the for the girls to step up sometimes and teach too. You know, I think the they have a little different perspective on the techniques, and there is a lot more women getting jujitsu, and I and I think it just helps a little bit. You know, even if they're you know once in a while I want to step up, like help them. I, I I think there's some 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 benefit to it. You know, I you know a lot of a lot of a lot of schools, like I know Val Worthington, and she has a school, and a lot of the, the, the females, the black belt females, like they're very good teachers too, you know. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong. Like, it doesn't always have to be like one black belt and two doesn't have to be like always a, a guy. Also, if you know, there's females out there that are thinking about teaching. Like, there's there's like a new white belt girl in class that could probably like benefit from what you have to say. I think that uh yeah we we don't want to be we kind of work together and, and grow the sport yeah we don't want to be the last corner on earth where there's uh not gender inequality i mean jujitsu is jujitsu and it doesn't matter if it's being taught by a a guy that's 22 years old and been on the mats for five or six years or a, a girl that's 35 and been doing it five or six years uh jujitsu is jujitsu and you can learn something from anybody yeah, and I, you know, the there's there's definitely been a bigger bigger push lately. With we've had a lot more interest from from female. I don't know if it's you know from you know female division UFC or whatever it is, but it's been a pretty interesting growth, especially around the Midwest of of the, the female side of jiu-jitsu too. So there, there's there's definitely room for everybody to, to step up. Yep. Well, Sam, it's been a good conversation. I've enjoyed it, and I, I've learned some stuff, and I, I think the listeners are going to appreciate it. Before we go, um, is there anybody you'd like to thank? Uh, any of your – do you have sponsors or, or want to give a shout-out to your coaches or your gym and uh, any contact information you want to provide? Yeah, you guys, uh, thanks again for having me. Uh, you guys, can, if you're ever in the Chicagoland area or visiting or – you know, coming in for a tournament, everyone's always welcome. Uh, Newbury Training Center, we're located in Niles, just outside of Chicago. You can find us at newburytrainingcenter.com, uh, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter, all the all the big social media ones. Um, if you want to come in and, and train with us or, you know, talk shop with me, strength conditioning-wise, I'm more than willing to help anybody in the jiu-jitsu community. I mean, you guys are always welcome to come in and, and train with us. Um, and again, I, there's a there's a lot of people about this journey. I love to thank, but you know, Mark Viva is the brains behind the whole whole operation. Here is really like helped me a lot on the mat and off the mat, and I think uh, he's a really big big contributor to the Jitsu community, not just in Chicago, but 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 all over. You know, you guys he competes a lot of fight to wins and you know, big big tournaments, and you know, he's helped me a lot, and uh, obviously. Really grateful to him for giving me the opportunity to teach and get where I am today. Very good, Sam. 
I appreciate you coming on and uh, information to contact you, information to find some of your articles will be in the show notes for this episode. Great, great. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Sam. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. I'd like to thank Sam Spiegelman for being our guest this week. Sam, that was awesome. Appreciate you taking time to come on. Um, really appreciated Sam's thoughts about uh, rest and recuperation. Um, you know, there's only so much a body can do, especially if you're getting to be an older grappler. And you don't need to add a bunch of strength and conditioning outside of training if jiu-jitsu is enough for you. So I appreciate uh, Sam's thoughts on that, and I appreciate him taking time to come on the interview. I'm sure Byron did a masterful job of editing, but uh, we actually got uh, disconnected a couple times due to weather. When we did the interview, they were having a, a snowstorm up in uh, up in Chicago, where Sam's from. So, again, Sam, thanks for your patience and making it all work. Yeah, there's uh, no beating around the bush on this one. Joe did an outstanding job as an interviewer, and Sam, I knew Sam would would uh, would do very well. I've interviewed him a couple times, and we'll put links to those uh, interviews in the show notes. But really, um, man, Joe, you're I'm impressed with listening to an interview from somebody who does a lot of interviews. And I'm always thinking, what would I ask next? And and several times on this, I'm like, that's a way better question than I was going to ask. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Joe, it was it's awesome having you uh, do this, and look forward to uh, more BJJ Brick Extra, uh, you know, every month. Well, yeah, not Joe. To- not to beat a dead horse or anything, Byron. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, but uh, I learned from the best. <laughs> yeah. You know, speaking of, you know, Byron, you're talking about how good Joe does. I'd like to read a little bit of fan mail that we've got here. Um, okay. Yeah, this one here came from uh, uh, middle of March, March 18th. It looks like we got it. It's an email here. Um, and we appreciate you know, sending emails, bjjbrick at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, if you have anything to tell us. But it's like, hey, guys, I just want to let you know. The new extra episodes at the start of the month are awesome. Joe does a really good job of interviewing uh, who the guest. Joe is so much better than the other guy who does it and does has so much better questions. This guy, he is incredible. Signed, Byron's mom. Yeah, I don't want to give up my day job, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, do you have a day job? I have a, I have a 24-hour 24 job, job, I guess. Yeah. Day and night job. I don't want to give up my day and night job. I think Byron. I but, think uh, Byron's mom didn't she uh, sign off with uh, 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 Joe's the best thing since sliced bread or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, she she did say, and she also said that Joe is the sharpest tool in the tool bag. In the tool bag, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she's always very friendly and uh, has really taken to a liking to yep. Joe's interview style. And she actually was on the show. Uh, back in the day, we used to have a segment, uh, Dancing with the Stars, uh, you know, and uh, that was a big thing. Yeah, that was that was fun getting her on. I tried to get her to do a Dancing with the Stars review of Jeff Munson's uh, dance, and I had her watch it. She politely declined because she couldn't see any actual dance. She said, if you can't say anything <laughs> like, nice, don't say anything at yeah. all. <laughs> I was like, well, can I just get you saying that, Mom? She goes, I don't want to be out there to say anything mean to this guy. I mean, Jeff Munson, great guy. Loved him as a guest and, and look forward to having him back on the podcast. Super friendly guy. He's doing a lot of charity work for kids. But he doesn't – he's a warrior, and he's he's kind of I, – I, his body's taken the toll from many, many battles. You know, MMA fight with Fedor where, he, like, he's done uh, – 
so many, uh, so much in the combat sports world. But yeah, he's not uh, really a dancer guy, and he's a big husky guy anyway. So yeah, not. Uh, she wasn't impressed by his dance steps, but yeah, it, I thought that was funny. That's <laughs> so everybody else, I think. But it was actually probably but, pretty uh, good. We didn't say anything bad about it because he may actually yeah. come and find us at the BJJ Brick Weekend, June twenty second, twenty third, and twenty fourth. We could have been in trouble. <laughs> but Gary's on the ball today. <laughs> you know, Gary, if something like uh, that happens, I'm just going to tell him, "Hey, I'm just reading the script that Byron sends me, man." <laughs> <laughs> Good, Joe. I'm going to write that down. But you know, though, maybe oh, we could have talked him into giving a seminar, and we could add three on June twenty third. Instead of just two, with Tim Sled and Rolly Delgado. <laughs> oh, Gary, you uh, you have visions for the next year's gathering. I can tell already. So, uh, also with this uh, BJ Brick Extra, we have a question uh, of the episode here. Interesting question. I think it comes up sometimes. We've filled uh, a decent amount of questions to our inbox at uh, Brick at gmail.com you can also send us a question through our Facebook page and that's probably a little bit better way to, to get get us going on that because if you just send us a message on that we all three see it pretty much you know uh, as soon as we see our phones and uh, we're taking different swings at different angles uh, and sometimes it takes us a minute to respond because we're trying to think of a good response but uh, yeah we have some questions here and here's, here's one for this episode uh, basically, boils down to help. My instructor is not showing stuff I need to know. I think this is uh, probably common, especially with the new students. Especially in a lot of schools don't have beginner level classes, which is fine. But uh, you end up going to regular class and they're doing something that's a bit much for you. And you feel like you're leaving some of the basic stuff behind. Guys, what, do you, what advice do you have? How can we help this person out? Gary, I'll let you take first stab at this one. I got some thoughts, but you go ahead. Well, uh, you know, that, that is going to happen. We are going to, uh, a, lot of, a lot of schools do not have a, a beginner's class, uh, just not enough demand or school's not big enough. It just doesn't make sense. So you are going to run into times where you may be learning a barambola and you're brand new to the class. Uh, well, uh, one thing I think, uh, you know, people are going to run into this because a lot of schools do not have a beginner's class. Uh, you know, they may not have enough uh, people in the school. Uh, it may not make financial sense. So a lot of times a new person is going to get filled in uh, with a class, learning stuff that is probably a little above their pay grade. You know, you could be learning barambolas or something in your know, first or second class. But one thing I would like everybody to keep in mind is when you're first starting, you're really trying to teach your body how to move. And, you know, a lot of stuff uh, that may not you may not think that it's really helping you now you are teaching your body to move and, you know, just going through some of these unique movements is going to make, it's going to put you outside of your comfort zone. It's going to teach you how to move your body a little bit, which is going to help you in the long run. And normally, you know, we may be doing barambolas one week or the next week, but it's going to go around and, and some stuff are going to come up that, you know, is more in tune to where you're at. Um, you know, another thing is, you know, work after class or before class with a with a more seasoned student who will take some time and help you out, or maybe even your instructor could do that for you too. But um, you know, just be happy you're training. Um, you know, some of that stuff you may not think it's great right now, but it, it's going to help you come the long run. And and I, I've been in that situation where I felt like 
these things are worthless. It's way over my head. But as I've got longer in my journey, I found out that it really did help me at that time, even though I didn't understand it. Gary, you know what I say about advice like that? It's worth its weight in gold, man. That was awesome. Uh, Thank I you, really, Joe. I, I really like the part about asking uh, senior students, you know, if there's something specific that you feel you're missing, you're not getting uh, a lot of closed guard fundamentals, and you recognize that as a, a key position, stay late and just get with one of the purple belts, or like Gary said, even the instructor, and say, hey, can you uh, show me this sweep from closed guard, or you, can you show me a pass from closed guard? And, you know, just take a few minutes on your own time. The other thing I would add is, if they're teaching a, a move that starts in side control, you know, your bottom side and you do a sweep and a pass and a finish, you know, and it's sort of a, a series of moves and it, you just kind of get lost. I guarantee at some point the instructor is talking about the fundamentals of the setup and just pay attention to the things that are applicable. You know, they'll talk about your, your leg positioning on the knee shield. And they'll talk about your grips and your frames and, you know, just pay attention to the stuff that is applicable and absorb it. And uh, eventually it's all going to come together for you. Yeah. Give your instructor the benefit of the doubt as far as, uh, you know, let them run the class. Obviously it is a little frustrating to uh, be shown something that really you can't apply yet. It, but still, I think, I think you, you, you hit it pretty good. The, hit the nail on the head on that one, Joe. You, if you're working something from a mount or sight control or something like that, you know, really focusing on that position as much as you are the details of that submission and, and what, the, what they are showing to the bigger class. How do I hold mount? Like, what am I doing wrong? That's a big deal. And if you could you know, work on that where everybody else is working on this finer detail, you're still going to be learning a ton. And you'll, you'll piece together the the pieces of this pie, you know, as time goes. And eventually, Gary, you're going to have a full pie. <laughs> That's a terrible. It's uh, always good to have uh, a full um, pie. <laughs> but you're not ever adding to the pie. You're eating the pie one slice at a time. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, let me jump back on the, on the bandwagon here again uh, about just focus on those uh, fundamentals. They're underneath everything in jiu-jitsu and no matter what technique they're showing you there's probably a fundamental behind it you could pick up and learn and uh eventually you know hang in there enjoy the process like gary says uh have fun with it you'll stick with it and you'll get good and you'll you'll be to where you're you're satisfied with your uh level of understanding and learning as far as i guess you're never satisfied with that because you always want to keep going but you feel like you've gotten to the point where you understand what they're talking about now it is frustrating at the beginning yeah but then when you've it all comes together, kind of like what you said, Byron, you, down the road, you start realizing how it comes together. Then at that point, you celebrate, and you have a full pie. You have a full pie. <laughs> That's true. Uh, once at a blue moon, uh, something like that happens, and it's good to have a dessert. So that was the, the question. I hope. I mean, I think that's a fairly common situation, especially for new students, to, be, to feel like uh, this is way more complicated, and I don't understand this. And just to kind of feel like they're underwater and uh, not even able to tread water, really. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it'll get better. Trust us. Uh, learn to have fun with it and ask questions. I've said this before, too. Your teammates teach you a lot. Your instructor shows you stuff in class, but the person you pair up with and work with, that could be a big deal, too. That, that person will teach you a ton about jujitsu if you're open to learning from them and, and that little one-on-one experience that you're getting with them, you know, as time goes. You learn a lot from your teammates. Guys, we have a new Patreon supporter. I'm always excited. 
when this happens. Adam! And uh, I guess with the recent tradition, Adam J. <laughs> uh, trying to not, you know, leave things kind of anonymous. I don't know why I don't want to say somebody's full name on the air. I feel like I want permission before I just say someone's name. Uh, but anyway, Adam, thanks for signing up on Patreon and supporting the show. Really what Adam has done is, you know, he listens to the podcast. It's like, man, I want this to, to continue doing what it's doing. And you know what? Get better and bigger and uh, and produce, you know, better content down the road. Uh, so he's he went on to the Patreon site. He's pledging a dollar per episode. And that's a big deal to us. And this really adds up. Um, we mail out a 5-inch uh, BJJ Brick Gee Patch and a BJJ Brick sticker in the mail anywhere in the world. I think it goes anywhere in the world. I've mailed it all over the world. I haven't found a country yet that won't uh, take this uh, little package. Well, definitely. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Won't take my the envelope I mail out with the stamp I put on it. I'm not, you know. Uh, but, <laughs> man, I really derailed my own train of thought there. Uh, but, yeah, so that's already been sent out, and he's probably got it by now. And just a, just a big thank you, and, and uh, we hope to make this uh, adventure we're on together, BJJ Brick, uh, as big and, and fun and helpful as we possibly can. And with most things, uh, more money helps the things grow. So uh, that's what's happening here. Also, uh, welcome to join the BJJ Brick private Facebook group. Um, when you... When you have a fairly common name, which I think most people do by, you know, statistically, I can't find you on Facebook. And so send me a uh, message or an email. We've sent our email a couple of times, bjbrick at gmail.com. And maybe put a link to your Facebook page or whatever. I'll get you added in. If you find me on Facebook, uh, Byron Jabara, uh, there's only one. Uh, and uh, I should pop right up and add me there and say, hey, and then send, us a, send me a message because I get uh, ads you know, sometimes, and I think, oh, this is a juicy person, but I have no idea unless you're wearing a gi. I have to kind of fumble around in your pictures and see who mutual friends we have. Say, hey, like the podcast. If you send me a Facebook, uh, you know, friend request and say I enjoy the podcast, I'll add you right away. Otherwise, I don't know. Like, I get random ones, too, that are from people that are creepy like Gary, and I don't know who to add or who not to add. But if you just let us know. And same with, so if you find me, you can find Gary, you can find Joe because they're both on mine. But uh, <laughs> I have a strange name. And that helps out in this situation. Yeah, if you look, if you anyway, look for Joe Thomas, you're going to find a few. <laughs> <laughs> you look for the Joe Thomas in my friends page, and you'll find him right away. But uh, yeah, so um, I guess I've got off the the the, the train here of uh, the topic of Patreon. But man, thanks so much, Adam. Uh, I'll go ahead and run down the list of the the five most recent ones: Adam, Ryan, Dennis, Brian, and uh, man. Thanks, guys, for signing up recently on Patreon. We do have the original uh, group there. Uh, people have been Patreon supporters for, for almost a couple of years, and that really means the world to us as as we've uh, overcome some hurdles together, <laughs> we'll say. Anyway, I don't want to go. I've already gotten uh, too long on this Patreon thing. Make a long story short. Uh, it means a lot to us. Thanks for the support. And uh, get a hold of me if you ever need anything from the Patreon, like you're in a different group as far as, you know, if I could ever help you guys out, I'd be honored to. After, after that ramble and Byron says, uh, yeah, no kidding. That was a long long story short. And I thought, man, that train already left the station. Make a short story (laughs) long. I did make that long. Uh, I am off my rocker, (laughs) but, uh, where could they go to find us on, uh, social media? 
Wait, we have a social media account, Byron? No, uh, <laughs> no. Joe does. No, My, hey. My, MySpace? Yeah, MySpace. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it at the grapevine. There is a uh, YouTube page yeah. channel. Definitely check out us on check BJJ Brick out on YouTube. Uh, there's a ton of stuff on there, and you probably won't believe me, but we've got everything from making grilled cheese sandwiches to reviews <laughs> of stars DVDs. Uh, you know, uh, con- you know the content on there. So definitely uh, check it out. Facebook. Check out our Facebook page, uh, BJJ Brick. Uh, we're on there a lot. Uh, you can send us a private message on there. Check our stuff out. But don't forget to share the Facebook page with uh, your buddies. Uh, let them know about it. One thing that uh, Joe and Byron have been doing a lot here lately is putting a little minute or two-minute clips of each and every week's Monday show um, just on a little topic there, and uh, those are make good things to share. People can hear us real quick, see if you know they they find out they like the topic, and uh, we'll go and like the page and uh, listen to uh, our show each and every each and every Monday. Gary, if somebody wants to come train with you, where can they find you? Well, right now I happen to be locked up for the next six to eight months, so you would have to come to the local penitentiary. Uh, but we do have visiting <laughs> days. No, a good internet connection, Gary. <laughs> no, we got all the best stuff. No, hey, uh, we are Byron and I are in Wichita, Kansas. If you actually make it to the air capital of the world, uh, send us a message. We'd love to uh, try and get on the mats with you. If you happen to be south of Wichita, Kansas, and I'll let Joe tell you where he's at. Yeah, I'm south of Houston by just a little bit. So if you're in the Houston area, uh, look me up, and I'd love to come train with you. If you're looking for a good school, maybe I can point you in a good direction. And I train uh, in the New Orleans area a little bit, too. So if you're around there, just let me know, and I'll see if I'm in town. Yep, Joe's a world traveler. He uh, he gets around. Yeah, if you consider uh, New Orleans to Houston the world, which I guess it kind of is, then, yeah, I'm a world traveler. <laughs> <laughs> He goes the short way usually. Occasionally he'll go all the way around the world and get from one to the other, but that seems like a waste of time. Well, how could he do that? Because isn't the world flat? Oh. Yeah, we don't want to get into that sort of a debate. <laughs> uh, I'd play the devil's advocate on that one and try to explain how the curvature works. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give, I'm know, gonna give it, Gary the benefit of the doubt and say that he's not actually a flat earther. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> okay. But he, he may not look that smart, but don't judge that book by the cover. Yeah, hey, I, like I've always said, I may not be the smartest tool in the tool bag. <laughs> <laughs> but if you give Gary a challenge, he'll cross that bridge when he comes to it uh, with the tool bag he has in hand. How many times do you think we said tool bag today? <laughs> setting a record man well, Gary explain to us why we're saying tool bag because always you know we're always getting new listeners you know they are making fun of me um, because one day in an episode I don't remember what it was I said tool bag instead of toolbox and uh, you know like I, I'm the guy who gets picked on all the time and, and I'm used to it and uh, you know they, they have a good time messing with me, and, and I'm good at taking it. But so then I just try to throw it back out there just to uh, to get messed with even more. So uh, well, if so, Gary was trying to use the idiom, uh, just another tool in the toolbox, and he said bag, and it's been not a constant running joke, but in time, anybody needs to say toolbox, it's always gonna be bag on this show. I think what made it most memorable, Gary, is you didn't want to admit that you said something that made no sense, <laughs> and you spent five minutes trying to tell us how a tool bag was preferable to a toolbox. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I have to uh, have to stick with my point and try to try to make people believe it. 
There's a method to his madness. There really is. You know, I always say that even when you're wrong, if you're speaking with conviction and, and pretending like you know everything, sometimes you'll change people's mind and, you know, get them to believe the false thing. So that's kind of, you know, I do that a lot with my wife, and that's what I was uh, trying to do there. Pull the wool over their eyes, basically. Yeah. It's always good to pull wool over people's eyes. Get them to believe in the, believe in the wrong thing. Gary, what would it be like to get the taste of your own medicine? I do, each and every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny about this whole thing? This episode is going to air on April Fool's Day. I mean, we should do something kind of funny. Well, you probably have. I, knowing you guys, you have already set up some kind of joke that you're gonna you're already doing what, right now. What would it be? <laughs> I mean, we would we wouldn't want to just hammer on the same thing over and over and like beat a dead horse. Oh yeah, you would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, if we were setting a practical joke up, would you take the bait? Oh, I probably already have taken the bait. He he, he wouldn't be caught dead taking the bait. No, I would be. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Okay. Okay, Gary, we're going to start a game right now. Ball's in your court, brother. Okay. We're <laughs> <laughs> not trying to steal your thunder, Gary, but uh, there has been a bit of a joke going on. I figured. Well, I didn't figure until you guys just said it, but what have you guys done? I haven't figured it out. Well, there's not, oh. there's, between us, there's not a spark of decency. You know, we're kind of uh, being rough on you, I admit. So should we beat around, should, should we quit beating around the bush and let them know what's going on? It takes two to tango and really mess with Gary. And some of us, sometimes we just team up against that guy. Sometimes. More like all the time. <laughs> the classic idiom of uh, putting another tool in the toolbox uh, was converted uh, probably more than a year ago. This April Fool's, Gary, uh, we have been throwing idioms around <laughs> like snowballs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, know, it, I know, I know, I know you're gonna give feel left go? out here, but don't don't cry over spilled milk, man. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was good. So, did you guys do it hoping I would talk about tool in the toolbox, tool bag? Not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. No, that was you, a bonus, man. <laughs> yeah, that just made it even better. Just added insult to injury. Another yeah. idiom right there, Gary. Oh, good one. Hot potato was one I threw in there. I, so. These were coming at us so fast and furious you know, at I times. I thought it was weird when you said balls in your court. I was like, okay, you must be <laughs> watching March Madness. You know, I thought that was a little weird coming from you, but uh, I didn't think anything of it. Best of both worlds. Uh, something about uh, my mom said the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, that's uh, right. Little package. You were talking about your little package. <laughs> <laughs> Cost an arm yeah. and a leg. There's yeah, a bunch of them. I think what Byron meant was great things come in small packages. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what she said. <laughs> ah, yep. That was good. Yeah, so uh, this one, man, I don't know if we threw out more than 20 or not, Joe, but there, there oh, are a lot of these easy. idioms out there. Yeah, I think easy more than 20. You know, the bad thing is I don't even remember the one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the... Uh, Derailed the, the train of thought. Once in a blue moon. Um, I said. You know, I said. I, I said. Don't. Don't. Don't want to beat a dead horse. <laughs> uh, get. Get it back on track. Uh, man, I, I seemed like we were throwing one out every couple minutes. A piece of the pie is one, but I somehow destroyed that, and it came <laughs> out as you're putting the pie together. <laughs> like I don't know where I was taking that one. That was a bad one. Um, well, then I ran with it and came back with a full pie. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, you're there. You're there swinging with the punches, Gary. <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> I didn't uh, even realize that. Yeah, I was Man. just bobbing and weaving. Yep, yep. But uh, that's what we do here. Same as Juicy. We want to have fun. And uh, occasionally you just pick on each other, and that each other usually is Gary. Yep. And I'd like to do a public service announcement. Hey, I know some of you guys are getting bullied, <laughs> just like myself. And, uh, you know, there's no reason to, you know, turn to violence. But I will let you know, next time I roll with Byron, violence will be coming. There will be blood. <laughs> Good <laughs> idiom. Uh, uh. Uh. Byron's yep. leaving with a limp. <laughs> I typically leave with a bloody nose. This thing is big. That does happen. <laughs> uh, no, good I'm times. just kidding. I, I, I'm, I like it when you guys mess with me. It just makes me realize I have friends. Well, actually, people have talked to me. because Yeah, we had to pre-plan you... this event, Gary. We yeah. had to, there's work done ahead of time to mess with you. Yeah. All for you, brother. Yeah. Dang, I, I'm, I'm popular. <laughs> <laughs> um, this... Quick uh, note here: There'll be another episode coming up really quick, like I think in a day, as far as the schedule. We're trying to do the BJ Brick Extra first day of the month, and then uh, you know BJ Brick comes out every Monday. I think it lines up Sunday, Monday, boom, boom. So enjoy the extra episode. Uh, that's what it is. It's extra. This uh, podcast episode was brought to you by Patreon supporters. When you think about it. Um, there was a little bit of additional cost in getting a third person on the line here with some equipment and stuff, and it was all provided by Patreon. So, again, we appreciate everybody's support, and we thank you very much. Yep. We'll catch you guys in a day. <laughs> Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better, and we'll see you on the mat, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Train hard, train smart, get better, and we'll see you on the mat, guys. <laughs> I was trying to think of something, you know, where don't forget to shower. I was trying to throw out some, one of those, but I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, like, a list of these here that we just... I was, well, was going to say, you, had to, uh, you would have had to uh, put them out early or been logging on for them. We hit we hit a lot of them. We didn't yeah. get them all, but uh, the bad thing know, is, some of even, them we got we weren't even on here. I didn't even catch any of them except balls in your court. I just you responded I like, to most of them though, because they are kind of funny things to say. Yeah. Actually, but when I, you started coming back with tool bag and stuff, I thought you were catching on. Actually, no, <laughs> <laughs> I just I just made it even better for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, oh, I got to run, grab my uh, charger here. Just one second. Okay, man, that worked out perfect. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh...